Hey, my name is Jackson Canty and welcome to Vim Online. Thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you are encouraged. I hope you know you have purpose, you are loved, and you belong. Enjoy this message. However you're listening, um, welcome. If it's YouTube, if it's Spotify, if it's iTunes, and wherever you're listening from, if you're listening from South Carolina, Columbia, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, um, let's see where else. Um, who, where? Well, you got to let me know where you're from so I can call you out. I know I've got some people from Myrtle Beach. I know I've got some people from Columbia. What's up wherever you're from? Um, so glad you would take some time and listen. Before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to share it. On whatever platform you know you're listening to, you can put it on your Facebook page. You can just click the little dots and or the share, and just put it right up there. Uh, put it on your Facebook. You can text it to people, screenshot it, whatever you need to do. If if you don't like this podcast, send it to people you don't like. But if you really really love it, if God really really speaks to you, go ahead and just send it out there. Send it out there. I want to read two verses to start us off from the top. Just two different verses. First one out of Matthew 21, 22. Jesus said, if you believe. If you believe. If you believe. You will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's Matthew 21, verse 22. And then from the story, the famous story in John 2, at the beginning of the chapter, where Jesus takes water and he transforms the structures of the molecules, the taste of the substance. He changes everything about the water and he turns it into wine. It's a significant miracle we see because the last time we saw Jesus, he was a 12-year-old boy amazing people in the temple with his teaching ability at 12. And his mom and dad were so scared because they thought they lost him. But you can't lose God no matter how hard you try. You can't get away from him. So once they came right back looking for him, there he was. Um, He was preaching and he was teaching because God's going to still do his thing when you walk away. Yeah, like, like I found that I'll walk away from God or just kind of maybe take a break and don't act all holy like you've never done that before. But I'll come back to God. It's not like he left. I just decided to focus on something else because it's a decision to focus. And I'll come back and find out he's still up to the same thing. He might be doing it different. He might be working through different people, but he's still doing the same thing. So we show up and we see 30-year-old Jesus who hasn't, he started his ministry, but he hasn't started doing miracles yet. And this will be the first one he does. This is in John 2. And the really the verse I want to focus on is John 2, 7. And then we'll go through the whole story because if you're quarantined, 
or if you're driving or if you're working out or if you're cooking in the kitchen or if you're sitting on the couch or if you're procrastinating, doing some work, whatever, whatever you're doing, we've got some time. So we're going to go through the whole story and it's going to be under 28 minutes, praise God. That's the goal for all my episodes is to be able to upload them under 28 minutes. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. What caught me off guard is that Jesus said, fill the jars with water in verse 7. But in verse 4, he had told Mary that it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as his true identity. It wasn't time for him to begin doing miracles because nobody would look at him the same. His friends wouldn't be able to hang around him because of his new accomplishments because sometimes your old people want you to stay acting your old way. So when you start to live in a new way, the people who knew who you used to be won't really want to hang around you anymore. And Jesus knew once he started doing miracles, things were going to shift. Things were going to change. The people who used to know him as little baby Jesus or as the carpenter's son, are now going to be forced to reckon with the fact that he's not just a baby. He's not just a boy. He's not just a carpenter's son. He's not just the son of Joseph. He's not just the son of Mary. He is also the son of God. And when they are faced with that fact, everything will change. The Sadducees will hate him because they don't believe in miraculous powers, yet that's what he performs. So it goes against their belief. So don't think just because you're in a relationship with God, Jesus won't pop up and surprise you. The Sadducees were religious. The Pharisees were religious. But Jesus just did things a little different. It wasn't that Jesus hated the Pharisees. It wasn't that Jesus hated the Sadducees. Jesus just came to earth less interested in pleasing man's opinion of how God should move. And oftentimes when Jesus shows up in our life, our expectation of him is to move in a certain way. Yet he decides to move in a different way. He will sometimes not grant our request the way we think he's going to grant our request. But Ephesians 3.20 promises us that whatever he does, he does immeasurably more. The problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that they just couldn't accept the fact that what they believed their whole life was wrong. And I'm going to go ahead and let you in on a little secret. No many, no matter how many Bible verses you know, no how no many, no matter how many followers you have, no many, no matter how many people you preach to, Jesus will pop up and surprise your theology. Sometimes he will do things in a way that doesn't necessarily line up 
with your belief. And Jesus knows once he does this miracle, things will change, things will shift, his life will be different. He'll no longer be able just to walk down the street without crowds trying to crush him and without a woman reaching out and just trying to touch the hem of his garment. Things will be different. Things will be different. Things will be different. His friend won't be able to contract an illness and then die and everybody blame him. That's what'll be different. See, they don't blame him for causing the illness. They blame him because he could have stopped it and he didn't. And what do you do when God could have stopped it, but he didn't? When he could have changed it, but he didn't. When he could have came through, but he didn't. But then he received the promise to them that this sickness will not end in death because I do not do resurrection. I do not have the ability to resurrect. I do not do that on the side. It is not my side hustle. I'm not a magician. I don't know how to count to three and make resurrection happen. He said, I am resurrection. So what you need, you don't need to search for it inside of things or inside of things that people can do or inside of different ways. You don't need to go around looking for different ways to fulfill a promise. When I make a promise, it's because I am the fulfillment of that promise. And he knows once he changes the water and puts it into wine, everything will change. It's why he tells Mary in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. It is not yet time for me to begin to do the things that you ask of me, Mary, mom, mother, as he referred to her, woman. Woman, why do you involve me? But this was on the third day at a wedding, at a wedding, at a where, at a wedding, which is the beginning. So in the beginning, the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus does his first miracle at the beginning, at the wedding at the beginning of a wedding, which a wedding is a representation of a celebration of a marriage. A marriage is a covenant. It's a promise between two people. So when Jesus is at this wedding and he says, it is not my hour, it's representative of the fact that he came for a new covenant and he was suggesting that this was not yet the hour for him to perform this miracle. And when he says that to Mary, Mary doesn't really listen to him. Yeah, you know, it's kind of weird because she looks at him and she doesn't respond. She just says, okay, honey, that's fine. Okay. And then she looks at the servants and says, now do whatever he tells you. Now do whatever he tells you. This would catch me off guard. If I didn't know the words he uttered in Matthew 21 verse 22 when he said, if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for. So when Mary asks Jesus to, to fix the issue to fix the problem that we do not have what we need to do what we need to do. We cannot celebrate, we cannot rightly do this wedding without wine. We need wine for this wedding. And so in the need of wine, she presents Jesus with a problem. 
because she knows that he does not know the solution. She knows he is the solution. So she brings the problem to Jesus's attention because she knows he can fix it. And he says, my hour has not yet come. But then he goes on to perform the miracle. Whatever you believe, you will receive. I wonder if Jesus' whole life would have been different because this wouldn't have been the first miracle. If the first miracle he would have done was maybe turning blind eyes into seeing eyes. Or maybe the first miracle he completes is raising someone from the dead or healing someone from leprosy. But the first miracle Jesus does is because Mary said to the servants, to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And so they oblige and he obliges Mary's request. If you believe, you will receive. If you believe. So she believed he was capable. So when Jesus said, my hour has not yet come, she knew he was just choosing not to do it. She knew he had the ability. He didn't say, mama, I can't do that. He said, mom, now's not the time. But she responds with, no, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. And so her actions speak for her lack of words. Because she does not even respond when, when Jesus says no. Whatever you believe, you will receive. So the predication of the reception is the belief. What predicates, what goes before anything is your belief. For you to receive, there must first come a belief. For you to adhere and take into something, there must be a meeting between your mind and your heart in an agreement that this is possible. It does not say you will receive what you ask for in prayer. It says, if you believe. See, his if is predicating that if you are to receive the very thing that you want, it's going to require your belief. It's going to require your belief. It is a choice you will make. So Jesus is at the starting place. He is at the line in which his ministry will start. See, his ministry had really started because he already had the disciples with him. He just hadn't really started doing the miracles yet. 
Yes, he has the disciples with him, but they haven't really decided how they feel about him yet. So this first miracle is going to decide if the people he has recruited to follow him will keep going and if his ministry and if his miracles will take place. This is the starting ground for Jesus's life. It is important to know that this story does not take place in any of the Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It is only in John. It is only in John that we see this story. Maybe it's because John had a different mindset when he wrote than the other three Gospels. It's not that this one is different and tells a different story. It tells the same story from a different perspective. Like, so I'm recording this podcast right now. I have already recorded this podcast before. And I just went back and redid it. The same mind, the same mouth is telling the story. I'm using the same scripture. I have the same title, which I now remember I have not given to you yet. I have the same main points. I have the same message I want to get across, but I have already recorded it once and decided I think I can do better. And so I'm recording it again. It is not that any of the other Gospels are better. They're just different. What amazes me is with the same text, with the same mouth, and with the same mind, how I can record three or four different podcasts and about the same topic, and they all are very different. I just go down different trails. I talk about different things. I look at different aspects of the text that I'm walking through. I think about it different each time I record it. Maybe I'm in a different mindset. I don't know, but every time... They're different. Sometimes they're more different than others. Sometimes they're very different. But the truth is, they're normally always different. So when Matthew, Mark, and Luke are different from each other, it's not because they're telling a different story, per se. They're telling it from different perspectives, really, because when Matthew's writing it, he wants people to believe in the Jewish culture. So he is writing it to a Jewish audience. So he takes time to go through the genealogy of Jesus. Because that meant a lot in its time. Mark cared a little less. He was more action-packed, and he was more focused on people understanding the power and the might and the things that Jesus did while he was on the planet. So he didn't take as much time to go through the, the legalities of the genealogy. He just wanted you to know what Jesus was capable of. So his are more filled with healings and miracles and stories of Jesus doing things. But Luke takes a different approach. He makes sure to name everybody. He was a physician, a doctor. So his accounts are very accurate. His, his accounts are very... He wanted people to be able to look back and know exactly who was in charge of the government at the time. He wanted people to know who was doing what at the time. So he made sure to focus on names and, and places. And he wanted it to be perfect. John writes with a different goal. 
people have said different things about John's gospel. I find that John's gospel is more romantic than the others. Yeah, I find it more romantic than the others. He's not necessarily targeting a Jewish audience. He's not necessarily trying to show the might and the power of Jesus. He's not necessarily making sure everybody's name gets mentioned. He wants you to fall in love. He knows that you can know all the facts but not have it in your heart. He knows that you can believe that God is mighty and strong. Yet if you do not have a personal relationship with him in your life, you will still be missing something no matter how much you believe. So when John writes, he wants you to fall in love with him. Maybe that's why he starts the first miracle with the wedding. The wedding the wedding where Jesus takes water and he turns it into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Jesus was not preaching. He was kicking it. Yeah, because we're always waiting for God to speak to us, and sometimes he does, but sometimes he's just there. Jesus is not telling people to repent. Jesus is not telling people who he is. Jesus is celebrating and having a good old time with his disciples. But when the wine was gone, you know, when they ran out, because you were cool just kicking it with Jesus, but then all of a sudden when things change, when you run out... He's the first one you go to. He's the one you say, Jesus, we're out of wine. Maybe you're in quarantine right now. And you're having a similar issue. We're out of wine. I'm going to leave it right there. When the wine was gone, when they had ran out, when things had changed, when things had not gone according to planned, they had a plan. They had a plan. We were going to do this this day. We were going to eat pigs in a blanket. Wait, no, they don't do that in that culture. Um, We're going to eat. Let's see. We're going to have fried chicken that day. Okay. Yep. And then, um, all right. Woo -woo. Yep. We're going to have wine. Uh, but, but all of a sudden they they run out they they run out they run out of something very important something very necessary for a wedding for a celebration they run out of wine perhaps the most important thing they could have run out of they probably wouldn't have bothered Jesus if they ran out of chips and salsa if the hummus would have went out with the carrots they probably wouldn't have really worried about it they'd have been okay some things you can afford to lose but some things when you run out bring you down to the place where you're like we cannot go on like this and so, Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. She didn't command him to make some. He could have figured out a way to DoorDash or Grubhub or something and get it delivered. But, but, but all she said was there is no more wine. Jesus responds, woman, why do you involve me? My hour 
has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, his mother did not even address what he said, but she said to the servants because she believed he was able. And if you believe, then you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. My hour has not yet come yet. She responds, do whatever he tells you. And nearby, nearby, nearby. Yeah, just nearby. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jews for ceremonial washings. Each can hold 30 gallons. I was researching one scholar's view on this verse, you know, because Jesus could have used wine bottles or, or, or wine vessels, and that would have been what they normally served water. I mean, wine out of. But Jesus didn't. He, he went for the unlikely thing. He went for the thing that had great potential, but he used it in a different avenue than it was used to being used to. Yeah, because Jesus doesn't always do it the way we think he's going to do it. And, and the scholar said, well, maybe there just wasn't any wine bottles or vessels nearby. <laughs> but then I thought, well, Jesus, if you're going to go through all the trouble <laughs> of just turning the water, changing the structure, changing everything about the water, why not just go the extra mile, Jesus? Go ahead and pop out some wine bottles. Yet, when God wants to split a sea, he does it through a staff. When God wants to bring his promise to Abraham, he does it through a barren womb. So, Jesus did not create the facility. He only created the thing that caused the miracle. He did not inform the the servants to fill up the jars with with grapes. He didn't even use the right ingredients yet. He told them, now take the washing jars, the kind used the Jews for ceremonial washings. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars, fill them, fill them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw it out. Now draw it out. And what do you do when God asks you to draw it out? Please notice as you're looking at this text, that when he tells them to draw it out, it is not wine yet. No, it is still water. He said, now draw it out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and they did so, 
and they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The man drinking the wine didn't even know about the miracle, but the people who were a part of it did. Yeah, Jesus wants you to be a part of the miracle because he wants you to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know it was him. He wants you to know he was the one with you. He was the one turning things in for the good. So they did not know because they were just drinking it. And then the then called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. You have saved the best until now. If you're listening to this, that means your festival, your life is not over. This is the wedding. This is just the beginning. And he has saved the best until now. The best until now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and all his disciples believed in him. All his disciples believed because they had seen him. They had seen him do it and they believed in him and they believed in him. They believed in him. But it must have been hard to believe in him when you're the one serving your master water and you're supposed to be serving him wine notice that how you view what it is determines what it becomes it was filled up to the brim with water there was no room to put anything else in there it was filled up to the brim there was no room for anything else to go in there it was filled up to the brim with water. It was water. But when it was viewed, when it was viewed, when it was believed to be wine, I don't know if it happened on the taste buds. I don't know if it happened in the cup. I don't know if it happened while it was pouring. But the water became wine. The water became wine. If you believe, you will receive what you ask for. But it might not look like what you think it's going to look like. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. It's never what it looks like. If you believe, you will receive if you believe, you will receive. Fill the pots with water. If you believe. But what about when you don't believe? What 
What about when you can't believe it? What about when you've asked God to do it and he hasn't? What about when you've been out of line, not for 30 minutes, not for three hours, but for three years, for 30 years, for, for what do you do when you want to believe? But it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. When things don't go the way you thought they were going to go and they, you had a plan and you had a timeline, but things don't go according to your time and you believed, you really did believe and you asked, but you did not receive. And then it's hard to keep believing. It's hard to keep believing. It's hard to keep believing. Now, Thomas, who was also known by Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. After he had died, after he had been crucified, maliciously executed, and buried. Thomas was not with the twelve when Jesus came, when Jesus appeared. So the other disciples clued him in. They told him, we have seen our Lord. He is risen. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I, unless I put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. But a week later, seven days later, the number of completion, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas was still there. Thomas had expressed doubt. Thomas had expressed disbelief. Thomas had said, you guys are just messing. He's really not coming back. But he was still there. They didn't kick him out. They didn't say, you can't be a part of us because you don't agree with everything that we agree with. A week later, Thomas was still there. Thomas was still there. And through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Boom! He popped in the room and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. Because it's not always easy to believe. It's not always easy. It's not always easy when you need wine to fill up jars with water. Jesus, we don't, Jesus, we don't need water. We need, we need wine. What's with the water, Jesus? We need wine. We, we need wine. We need peace. We don't need any rhetoric. We don't need any stories. We don't need... We need peace. We need you. We don't need anything. We need peace. We don't need water. We need wine. We need wine. We need happiness. We need joy. What's with the water? What does this water have to do with wine? 
what is this delete button on my Facebook or Instagram app have to do with peace? What is the turning the news off have to do with keeping my mind sane? What does this water have to do with wine? But the way Jesus does it is not always the way we expect him to do it. He used the unlikely. He used the things that we would count as uncommon. But he used what was nearby. I'm starting to see that God doesn't need me to be talented. God doesn't need me to be smart. He doesn't need me to be funny. He doesn't need me to be charismatic. He doesn't need me to be rich. He doesn't need me to be well-connected. He doesn't need me to be... He needs me to be nearby. The, the stone jars were nearby. They were nearby. He used them because they were nearby. If wine bottles would have been there, that would have been nice. If the vessels that they normally drink wine out of would have been nice. But Jesus skips the fermentation process. He doesn't do it the way he's supposed to do it. He says, water, become wine. Something that should have taken time. Something that should have taken years. Something that Grapes should have gone through the crushing and then the fermentation process and then been put away in barrels to be aged. Yet, Jesus, in a moment, does what would have taken man forever to perfect. And even though he does it in such a fast manner, the wine is even better than they ever thought it could be. They couldn't even believe how good it was. But the servants knew. The servants knew that this wasn't wine when we put it in the jars. The servants knew it was just water. It was just water. It was just water. God's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to be nearby. God's not asking you to to do anything crazy or, you know, he's just asking you to be nearby. The best thing you can do is be nearby. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for moving. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these listeners and the people. I pray that your spirit just goes into their ears, into their souls, into their hearts, into their minds and floods them and shows them that it doesn't matter what they've done or who they've been or who they've been near, but you're nearby and you're using what is nearby. You'll use a prostitute named Rahab. You'll use a king a man after your own heart that committed adultery and murder. You'll use Moses the stutterer and the murderer. Thank you for being nearby. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this blessed you. I hope this encouraged you. Um, Yeah, thank you for tuning in. I want to say um, thank you to those who give to um, to the podcast. It helps so much, helps us reach and do more. And so really appreciate those of you who do that. If you're interested in doing that, go um, 
it to our website and you will see there the support page. Um, you can get to our website by clicking the link that is in the uh, description below. Thank you so much. Hey, before you go, I hope this encouraged you. I hope you know you have purpose, you are loved, and you belong. If you did enjoy this, um, I just want to ask, share it. Um, screenshot it. Send it to your friends. Share the link. Do whatever you can do. Get the word out. It'll really help help us out. Um, second, go to our website, vimonline.org. If you just made a decision of faith and you're like, I want to start stepping in relationship, walking in stride with God. If that's you, the very first page, when you pull up vimonline.org, it'll be a decision for faith. You can put in your name, your email and your address. And we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to send you a bunch of stuff or show up at your door. We just want to say congratulations. We want to send you a Bible um, and some other resources that will help you getting started along and walking with God. Also by going to Vim online.org you can support financially it is the financial gifts that help us move forward and take the ministry into new places thank you so much i hope this blessed you thank you